good to join in in song together, isn't it? Thank you for the leading us in worship. So many good things we can say about our Lord, isn't there? I mean, the songs are endless, and they're all true. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you that you are worthy of any praise that we can give, any good praise that we can give. And Lord, we pray now that you would help us to understand your word so that we could live it out more and be uh, and love one another more and love you more. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that helped us understand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, those of you who have been here for more than one Sunday have very likely heard me mention this very troubling trend of people known for their Christian beliefs walking away from the faith. <laughs> uh, important points, we're going to be doing that. This <clears throat> and the testimonies I've heard seem to focus, people seem to focus on disappointment with God. Like, how could an all-loving God allow this tragedy to happen to me or to my friend or to my family? Or how could there even be an all-loving God, all-powerful God, with all the evil that we see in this world? How would he allow all of that to keep going on? Or how could a loving God condemn me for my choice of a marriage partner? Now, you know, I believe part of the reason more people seem to be turning against the faith, partly it's due, I think, to our Western culture that is leaving the, the aspect of there being an almighty God who loves us and takes care of us. And so in our culture, I think our culture is removing God and removing the Bible from the positions of respect that they've had for so many years, so many decades. You know, it used to be years ago that people even outside the church had some sense of respect for God. And they would, you know, talk about, well, God will do this, and, and, and when I stand before God. And so in some sense, they had this certain acknowledgement that there is a God, and that one day they will have to stand before him. And the Bible was even called the good book by people outside the church, never darkened a church door. But, you know, as I've said before in here, <clears throat> Our culture has even reached the very low moral point where now good is being called evil and evil is being called good. And even calling Christians evildoers and haters when holding to biblical morality. But I believe another part of the reason that some church people are falling for anti-Christian beliefs is because just a lack of knowledge of what the Bible really teaches. Not really knowing or understanding the real truths of the scriptures. And when someone says, why doesn't God stop this? 
Or why would a loving God condemn this? Well, I think most of the time it's pretty likely they're not, they're not aware of some clear teachings of the Bible or they've got them wrong. And I just believe that having a good understanding of the message of Scripture can resolve so many problems or worries or hurts or misunderstandings if we have this good understanding of what the scriptures really say. And especially, I think, if we have this really good understanding or decent understanding of God himself, God the Father. And I think that is often really lacking in a society that's going away from the Bible and away from a respect for God and his word. Now, our passage this morning will be a good example of how God works in the world. And a part of it will be kind of surprising, and that's good for us to know because it kind of enlarges our view of who God is, you know, in truth. But it's going to show us the way God chooses to work in certain situations and will reveal important things about him. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20 this morning. And the book of Revelation tells us about God's plan for destroying evil. We're at the part he's destroying evil and he's going to bring in the kingdom of God. Now, just for a running start, last week we read about this tremendous explosion of praise in heaven. You know, the apostle John was hearing this. He's been seeing these visions that, that Jesus is showing him. <clears throat> and he hears this explosion of praise for God in response to the fall of the wicked city of Babylon. Babylon is fallen. Now, in the apostle John's day, <clears throat> excuse me, Babylon was a code name for Rome because Babylon had fallen hundreds of years before. It was a very wicked city. And Rome in the first century where John lived, you know, the, the Roman Empire, that was becoming the wicked city. And the apostle John has a vision from God that in the end times, Rome, as the example of the end time wicked city, gets destroyed. And at this, at this time, the city of Rome during John's day, becoming the capital of the Roman Empire, was becoming increasingly more and more wicked and wealthy. And they were starting to persecute Christians. And they were starting to push the worship of the emperor. They were moving into an empire. <clears throat> and they were starting to favor heavily the wealthy and the politically powerful over the ordinary citizen. And as these were gaining wealth and power, and they called it even, uh, even um, being immoral with the city of Babylon, with the city of Rome, because people were going there with a lot of immorality and, and rampant um, materialism and greed, and it just kept growing and growing and growing until 
God finally delivers a devastating blow to the wicked city of Rome, and heaven bursts out in praise because of God's righteous judgment on the city that has pounced or has, has trampled upon its, on the rest of the world. But all this is showing us how things are going to transpire at the end of the present age. It's happening then, but it's a, it's a picture of what's going to happen at the very end. And that's what John is receiving. And here's this, this burst of praise, like I said, because Rome, Babylon has been judged by God. <clears throat> and now as the, as the merchants and the kings and all those who committed adultery with Rome, as they're watching it go up in smoke, they're just crying and weeping and wailing because there goes their riches. And then John hears this other burst of praise, and this one was for the announcement of the wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And that would be the celebration of Jesus Christ's marriage to his bride, the church. There was going to be this great celebration of the wedding. He was married, getting married to the one he suffered and died for, and that is the church. We are the bride of Christ. And then we see the King of kings and Lord of lords destroy the Antichrist. We saw this in the book of Revelation. Destroy the Antichrist and his false prophet. And he decimates the nation's armies who have gathered to battle the Lamb of God upon his return, but he obliterates them. And then the angel calls the vultures in the sky, come and feast upon the, the supper of God, this great supper of God, as these dead enemies lay on the ground and the vultures come and eat their flesh. That's the stuff that we saw last week. The Bible says the vultures gorged themselves on the flesh of God's enemies. So, one thing we've seen at this point is that when God decides that it's time to defeat the enemy, the enemy is defeated. Soundly, completely. But why did God choose to win the battle that way? Why did he allow evil people to have their way at all for any amount of time? Well, you know, we can have those questions <clears throat> as humans on the earth. We can have those questions of why this bad thing and why did God allow this bad thing and how come God waited so long to, to, to uh, right this wrong. But see, I believe God does everything according to the ways of righteousness because he is completely righteous. And I believe that our understanding of sin and evil and God's righteousness and holiness is extremely limited. I believe there's a whole other world of understanding and we're just at the very, very beginning. You know, it's like when our children ask us as their parents, why do we have to do it that way? And it makes no sense to them to do it the way that we're telling them. But we know why. Why do I have to be nice to that person? 
other things that children ask, we know why they can't see that far. But God has now judged the wicked city of Babylon. And he's thrown the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of burning sulfur. And now look with me as we enter chapter 20. Look at verses 1 through 3 in Revelation chapter 20. It's not moving here. There we go. Thank you. It says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. Now, last week we saw where uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet were thrown into the pit, to the abyss. And so now, here comes this angel. He has the key to the abyss, and he's holding a great chain. He sees the dragon, the, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Okay, we saw the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, false prophet, the Antichrist, thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, which is the lake of fire. And now we're seeing the angel from heaven who has that key to the abyss, takes that great chain, wraps up the the devil himself, binds him, throws him into the abyss, locks it, seals it over him for 1,000 years so he can no longer deceive the nations. So we can see that that is Satan's probably top, you know, agenda is to deceive the nations. And then it says, after a thousand years, he must be set free for a short time. Now, we could take a poll here. Who in here is in favor of setting Satan free for a short time after the 1,000-year sentence? <laughs> and so, why would God do such a thing? Well, I think as we move forward, we will see what happens, and it will give us a clue. But I think this is just one more example of God fulfilling all righteousness beyond our understanding. And we would have never said, okay, we'll let him free again for another short time. And I think the answer is, we just have to trust him. Because he knows all things. He knows what is required to obliterate sin. Whenever we question God's ways, we end up in trouble. And it's just like a child with their parents. But I thought... Who told you to think? Now, the next few verses will tell us what is going to happen during the thousand years while Satan is bound in chains. And I have to warn you that these verses are very difficult to understand completely. But we'll 
we'll measure in or, or focus on what we can see for sure. But look at verses 4 through 6. John says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. You know, they stayed true to God. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. <clears throat> so in John's vision that God is giving him, he sees these thrones in heaven and people sitting on them or creatures sitting on them who they've been given authority to judge. Now earlier in the book of Revelation, we saw God's heavenly tribunal. And these were not humans, but there were 24 elders on the throne. Well, some people think they're humans and some think they're angelic creatures or, or heavenly creatures. But they were sitting on thrones, they were wearing white and had golden crowns. And so that's one possibility of those who were sitting on the thrones. But you know, different scriptures also talk about Christians will sit on thrones with Christ and judge the world. So there's that possibility. And this passage also speaks of those who were given authority to judge and then mentions those who had been martyred for not worshiping the beast or its image. And they refused to take the mark of the beast on their forehead or their hand. And so it could be the martyrs sitting on those thrones. But then it says the martyrs came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And that's part of the first resurrection. They will be priests of God and will reign with him. So, even though there's a little bit of, of, that's not completely clear, we do know clearly that the martyrs of the tribulation period are receiving special attention right here. And whether they are the ones John sees on the thrones or it's others who are, will be enthroned at some point, these martyrs during these 1,000 years are enthroned as special servants of God for their faithfulness, for their bravery, for their sacrifice. You know, we who have lived our Christian lives free from persecution like, unlike others. We don't really even like to think of things moving in that direction, do we? And there's a lot of talk today that things look like they may be moving in that direction. And you know, I'm certainly not praying for persecution, but I think that we could comfort ourselves by remembering these passages in the Bible that show these martyred saints in heaven rejoicing, singing, praising God, lifted up in honor 
And in the meantime, just living our lives to please him and further his kingdom. And even though, you know, we don't really want persecution, and we can't think of ourselves as, you know, at all liking persecution, we see these passages over in the, in the Bible, you know, often in the Bible, where these martyrs are celebrated in heaven. So, you know, if you think about it, even on earth, it's fun to be celebrated, you know, for something special we've done, some honor that we received, something that uh, we were, we've been able to achieve, and we're kind of lifted up, you know, at a school achievement or whatever, a work achievement. And you know how kind of exhilarating it is to be kind of, be kind of honored for something? Well, just think how totally exhilarating it would be to be celebrated in the throne room of heaven forever for the sacrifice for Christ in the gospel. I mean, if celebration on earth is kind of fun, just think of what the celebration in heaven is going to be for anyone who has sacrificed for Christ or especially given their life for Christ. And to be celebrated like that for eternity I'm sure anyone who is will say it was worth it. But now, look at verses 7 through 10 as Satan is let loose again. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Those names are kind of Names used to describe parts of the world. And to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. This is a massive, massive multinational army. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, that would be Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So Satan is released. He's released so that he cannot deceive the nations for that 1,000-year period. As soon as he's released, he goes out to do his old tricks of working against the plan of God, deceiving the nations. He gathers this enormous army, this multinational, innumerable army that, that says they, they go across the earth. And he takes them over to attack God's people. And it looks as though, as we read it, that in just one blast, this worldwide army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, is just fried to a crisp. Pop, they're gone. And they marched across the earth. Haven't they heard of the power of God? 
But you know, it says the devil deceived them. And he deceived them to the point where they thought they could go and defeat God. I think that just shows us where when we start walking into sin, it just makes us lose our, our ability to reason well. And you know what else? They have just been through, the whole earth has just been through 1,000 years of peaceful reign of Jesus Christ. Of him, you know, being the lawgiver. Yet Satan was able still to convince them, probably hundreds of thousands, that we can go overthrow God. Even after all that peacefulness, I think it just shows us the wickedness of Satan and the depravity of mankind. And then it also shows us the necessity of God's judgment. That God, because of his righteousness, he has to judge. You know, it's become popular today in our society to exalt humanity. <clears throat> and basically in every way. And so whatever problems or hang-ups or perversions we might have, we are now encouraged to be proud of them. Used to be we're, we were kind of ashamed of, of bad things. But now we're supposed to wear them as a badge of honor. And we are changing the names of things that used to be seen as very bad to make them sound okay or acceptable. The latest one I've heard is minor attracted people. And they've changed the name so it doesn't sound so bad. But we're exalting humanity, even in sinfulness, we're exalting it. And I believe that is a result of losing our sense of respect for God that our nation used to have and for his word and for his righteous ways. I believe it is humanity saying, we got this. We don't need you, God. We can rule ourselves. And then it leads to the deterioration of society and things just get worse and worse because we're just leaving God far behind. And that's what we're seeing now. But then we come to verses 11 through 15 here, the rest of the chapter. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for him. That's God on his throne and he's so powerful that things just flee. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The book of life comes from the background of when people were citizens of a city or a place, their names were entered into the book. And they, their names had to be in the book in order to be recognized as a true citizen. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. 
The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So, who are we going to exalt? You know, we will either choose to exalt God and his ways or mankind and his ways. And one works off of selfish pride in trying to exalt ourselves no matter what we do. The other one operates off of a mindset of humility. One is filled with empty temporal pursuits that make you happy for a while, but the further you get in them, the more empty you find them. While the other is based on honor, dignity, and eternal truth. One aims for self-exaltation, name recognition, earthly prominence, while the other seeks to serve others and exalt the name of Christ. And it's all our choice, isn't it? And that's the great thing about it. And that is what the church is for. The church is here to help build each other up so that we're, we're pursuing the right things, the things that have eternal value. And to help one another serve Christ, seeking eternal rewards. And you know, it can be so difficult to let go of earthly riches and stop seeking earthly fame. To get our minds off of temporary admiration and celebration that, that's so, you know, attractive, so tantalizing. But as you keep going further into that, it leads to emptiness and heartache and eternal loss. Whereas the martyrs are reigning with Jesus Christ with absolute and total fulfillment and joy and exhilaration. Those martyrs in heaven, they're just rejoicing beyond what we can think. Everything inside shouts for joy, completely fulfilled, overflowing with satisfaction and joy when you follow the martyr's way, when you follow choosing eternal truth and eternal rewards. So let's don't allow ourselves to be taken in by earthly trinkets. Let's cling to the eternal Son of God so that we can reign with him. And then we will enjoy true riches and true fulfillment forever and ever. Let's pray.